Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. How many people here for the first time tonight? Some new folks, welcome to you. Welcome to anybody that's uh, tuning in from Zoom for the first time. Get rid of my gum. Um, a little bit of intro. Uh, what we're doing, what Against the Stream is about, what I'm trying to teach is very um, serious on some levels. It's the, the Buddha's teachings. It's about the truth of suffering, the first noble truth, the reality that all of us suffer. Everyone suffers. It's unavoidable. If you've taken birth as a human being, it's going to be hard. And even the people that you see outside of yourself on Instagram that look like, hey, they got fucking, they got it going on. That person looks so happy. That person suffers. The wealthy suffer, the privileged suffer. Everyone experiences suffering. And, and the Buddha, this is the Buddha's core teaching. And it's true for all living beings, not just us humans. Animals suffer, uh, all living beings. And that it's, um, unavoidable and on some level it's like part of the good news i think the normalizing truth of buddhism is that it's not all your fault i know for me that was a huge relief because i thought i'm fucked up it's all my fault it's because i'm a drug addict it's because i'm so traumatized it's all of these like blame it's my fault and then when i started to hear uh, the teachings of the buddha where he said like actually this is the truth for all of us this isn't just for the extra traumatized drug addicts <laughs> this is the truth for everyone everyone suffers the first noble truth and there's a cause and there's a way to end suffering and that's why i'm kind of setting this up of it's like serious what we're what we're doing but if you take it too seriously um, and you get uptight about it and get rigid about it and get like um, stressed out about it, you can suffer about trying to end your suffering. And so part of what I want to talk about tonight is uh, lightening up a little bit and the importance of a sense of humor and the importance of in this incredibly serious endeavor of, you know, some people are in the room uh, and it's and it's truly life or death around addiction. Like if you don't stay sober, you will relapse. You likely will not live long. It's truly like a life or death situation for many people in our community. If you don't really get this, you're, you're going to die soon. And I know that that was the case for me coming to meditation, locked up, strung out, um, I was, I was at the end, I was suicidal. I was, I wasn't going to make it much longer if I didn't find a solution. 
And that's not, you know, and there's lots of people in here that have that same story. Lots of people at home that have that same story. So, so fucking serious and so important and so um, necessary. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of meditators in America that uh, are looking to improve their quality of life that, uh, you know, are getting on the apps and, uh, you know, I love to talk shit about that guy that created the 10% happier, you know, who's like successful, um, kind of, you know, somewhat, uh, probably somewhat integrated. And he was like, you know, my life is pretty good, but if maybe meditation could make it 10% better, like, wouldn't that be cool? And like for, uh, for I think for myself and for a lot of, of our community, like a 10% improvement is still like, fuck that, I'm gonna kill myself. 10% is not gonna cut it. 10% better is still misery. Um, you know, we're looking for like a 90%. I'm looking for like a major transformation. So I don't know if it feels urgent to you, serious to you. Um, I think it is. I think that there's an urgency around what we're doing. And my own experience has been when I've gotten too serious about it and too uptight about it and too rigid about it, um, I suffer more. And I, you know, my, my super ego takes over and starts judging me for not being a good enough meditator, not being a good enough Buddhist and not being good enough at right fucking speech. <laughs> and the importance of relaxing a bit and just being like, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I love the recovery progress, not perfection. Buddhism sets up a, a model of perfection. The core teaching is if you work hard in this lifetime, you can end all of your suffering. You can develop a, an ability to meet all of the pain in your life with compassion. All of it, not some of it, not some of the time, but a consistent relationship of when it hurts, you learn to care about it rather than hate it and make it worse. Learn to be friendly towards our own pain that this is a potential, it's a possibility. It, not in some future mystical lifetime, but here and now. That if we truly practice mindfulness and truly develop uh, non-attached appreciation to pleasure, that no matter how wonderful life is, you don't have to get addicted to it. No matter how pleasurable your experience is, we can stop clinging and craving and suffering about trying to avoid pain and create pleasure. It's a long-term process. And there's some necessity of, um, there's, when, when the Buddha was talking about effort, he said, uh, he said the kind of effort that it takes to go against the stream, to go towards non-attachment, towards compassion, towards developing wisdom, to seeing clearly, he said, it's, it's a balanced effort that's necessary because if you try too hard, you'll burn out. He used the image of a stringed instrument, like 
It was called a lute, but just think of a guitar. He said, and if you tighten the strings too much on the guitar, it doesn't sound right. You'll break a string, it's, it's, it's terrible. And if you uh, don't tighten them enough and if the strings are too loose, also it sounds terrible. <laughs> it doesn't, the instrument doesn't work if you're too fucking lazy. But also if you're too uptight, it also doesn't work. So he said, we have to find this middle, Buddhism, the middle path where taking it seriously, but also not taking yourself too seriously. Loving Buddhism, but not becoming fundamentalist about uh, being you know, attached to your Buddhist you know, spiritual materialism, uh, looking a certain way or you know, even, even acting a certain way. The importance of a sense of humor and the importance of, and I don't know if you're there yet, I hope that some of you, where you can start to laugh at yourself, where you can start to, once you practice mindfulness for just a little while and you see, and you'll see this pretty early on, even if you're new to meditation, you'll see that what your mind is doing is not you. And actually being able to just like have a sense of humor about, look how fucking ludicrous my thoughts are. And on this consistent bad advice that my mind gives me. And it tells me to suffer about this and to take this personally and to defend myself over here. And to, if you notice that about your mind, that a lot of what it does is like, hey, you know what? You should suffer. You should be mad. You should be, you know, afraid. You should suffer at these thoughts. But then we start to practice meditation and you start to see, oh, these are just thoughts. These are just mental thoughts arising in my mind that say, I'm like this, or they're like that, or the world is like this. Learning to laugh at our own minds. So I'd like to ask you, this is a you know, long setup for, to reflect on you know, like, what are some of the funny things that your mind does? that often don't feel that funny and you take personal and you suffer about it. But, but in your wise moments, you're like, it's so ridiculous that my mind dot, dot, dot. And now turn to somebody in the room and introduce yourself and admit some of the ridiculous things that your mind does. And we know it's not your fault. Go ahead, and I'll put you guys in uh, breakout rooms. The ridiculous things, the funny things that your mind does. You guys missed the assignment, but it's right up your alley. The assignment is introduce yourself to somebody and tell them about the ridiculous things, the funny things that your mind does. 
Is that shit funny? <laughs> it's not funny if you don't have a sense of humor about it. And of course, as I was saying, the urgency in the beginning, not funny. It's when, it, when it's life or death. I know if I heard somebody saying this shit when I was brand new, I'd be like, this is crazy. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm trying to stay out of prison. Um, I'm not trying to laugh. I'm not trying to go to comedy. Um, I just want to stop smoking crack. And, um, but eventually, I assure you that it's, it becomes a necessity to, uh, and even the term, like if we're seeking the, the third noble truth, what we call nirvana often is called enlightenment. And there's a big question, like, what does enlightenment mean? And, and some have, have uh, reflected that part of it is just lightening up. You know, it's like from, uh, uh, what is it, stripes, lighten up, Francis? You know that? <laughs> you know, like if you're just too uptight, too, trying too hard to be good, trying too hard to be spiritual, and you become uptight about it and you suffer about it and you create an expectation that you can't live up to. Perfect. So, but also I'm not trying to give a free pass on just like being a complete douchebag all of the time and saying I was just joking. Um, we have, you know, we talk a lot about intention and the importance of trying to be careful with our speech and our actions. And we'll, we'll go into that tonight. Um, but I'm going to, obviously I'm going to talk about keeping a sense of humor and in the meditation, we'll sit now and in the meditation, when your mind does some, whatever fucked up thing it does, when it judges you and it compares and it tells you you're not doing it right, or you shouldn't be thinking or whatever your mind does, try to like, just make room for it and be friendly and see the ridiculous nature that your what your mind is doing is not your fault but there's a part of you that can just observe it and just be with it and be like wow that's some fucked up shit i say to myself that's 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 really wild how my mind compares and judges and craves and and the good news you know you might not know this yet but the good news is it's not your fault and the more you meditate, the more you'll wake up to like, this is not who we are. This is just the mind. And the mind has a mind of its own. And uh, a lot of us have pretty vicious 
critics in there and uh, start to kind of lighten up in, in your relationship to your own mind. So I'll give some mindfulness instructions, but just an encouragement, uh, maybe smile at it. I don't know, I don't know how many people are in recovery. There's that sort of um, in, in 12 step recovery, there's like a sarcastic way that sometimes people say, thanks for sharing. When somebody says something kind of annoying and stupid. Thanks for sharing, Francis. Say that to yourself when your mind is like, you're not doing it right. Thanks for sharing to your mind as though it's just like a confused new comer. <laughs> just your own mind, just like with that sort of, not that you would hopefully shame the newcomer that was saying something stupid, but you know you do. And um, just that kind of friendliness and, and, and maybe even smile when your mind wanders rather than bearing down and yanking your attention back to the present, just smile. Just be like, oh, yep, that again, big surprise. My mind is thinking, wandering, planning, fantasizing, doing whatever it's doing, big surprise. And then just relax into now, here. So as you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed, Release any tension that you can really soften the brow, the jaw, the shoulders, the belly. Perhaps putting a little half smile on your lips, even if you're not feeling it, just putting the body in the posture of smiling at yourself. And spending a few minutes just paying attention to your breath. Breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Letting the thoughts be in the background. Making the body breathing the foreground of your attention.
bringing this attitude of friendliness, acceptance, kindness, and humor to your present time experience of sitting, breathing. Don't try so hard to feel every breath. Just let the breath come to you. Let the body breathe. Don't try to stop your mind. Just let the thoughts be in the background. And when the attention wanders, acknowledge where it's going into thinking, hearing, another sensation in the body. With friendliness towards those thoughts, sounds, sensations. Gently returning to the breath. In a relaxed but consistent, not trying too hard.
If you're new to the practice, you can just stay with the breath. But the Buddha's instructions, encouragement, invitation is to open to your mind, to observe your mind, including the emotions, the sense doors, sound, smell, taste. Watch your mind with a sense of how some of what arises is so ludicrous, the self-centeredness, the fear. So many of the stories our mind tells us are untrue. As you watch the hopes and fears pass through consciousness, the old resentments where We always minimize our part in whatever happened. Forgetting how we retaliated. Just blaming those who hurt us. When you feel yourself becoming tense around a thought that's in the mind, try softening the jaw and the belly. Not resisting what's arising right now or trying to change it, but to be friendly towards it.
Buddha talked about our meditation practice is like training a wild monkey, the monkey mind. As you observe your mind swinging to the thoughts of the future, reminiscing about the past, having arguments in your head over and over, cravings. Like a wild monkey. The image itself helps me not take it so personally, have a little bit more of a sense of humor about this human monkey mind swinging through the jungle of views and opinions, preferences, memories.
when we develop mindfulness, the non-judgmental awareness, it makes more and more room for whatever's happening, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, neutral. Becoming more and more aware that these are just thoughts and sensations. Developing discernment, starting to see how much of our thoughts are unwholesome, unwise, unskillful. Thanks for sharing to our own minds. And when there is wisdom, mind becomes tranquil or experiencing joy, kindness. Cherish those moments, enjoy them, non-attached appreciation towards the wholesome thoughts, feelings, experiences. I hope this perspective and uh, encouragement makes some sense to you about the importance of um, finding that balance of taking our meditation practice, our spiritual life, our recovery, whatever you're here for, very seriously, but with a sense of humor, but with a lightness towards this incredibly uh, urgent process that we're in. Um, and knowing that it's such a, there's just no quick fix. You can't meditate any faster <laughs> than you're meditating. You can't make uh, wisdom happen any faster than it's sort of natural process of, of, uh, of happening, of arising, of being revealed. When I was in um, just this, uh, a few, few different reflections, I remember when I was um, kind of a little bit early, but kind of in the process of starting to teach and in training and um, you know, maybe like 10 years or so into my practice. And I was so serious and I was doing lots of meditation retreats and I was um, 
doing graduate school and writing a book and working at San Quentin and working at a harm reduction place and an outreach place and teaching a group. And I was just like so busy doing what I thought was spiritual shit. And so like kind of serious about it. And uh, at one point, my teacher said, like, what are you doing for fun? Like, this is great. You're meditating your ass off and you're doing all of the good service things. And, um, but are you, are you having any joy? Are you having any fun? And I, and it just was like, um, (laughs) like, I forgot that part. I was so trying, you know, kind of motivated from like, wait, I have suffering so much and this stuff is helping me suffer less. Um, I forgot about like a hobby, having some fun. And I couldn't really answer. He's like, well, what are you doing for fun? Like, what are you doing outside of your spiritual practice and service? And what are you doing just to play? How do you play? And I'm, you know, I'm reflecting, but like asking you too, like, is this part of your life? Do you have activities, hobbies, Places that are just for fun, that aren't about I'm meditating, that aren't about I'm being of service, stuff that you do that you just love doing. Now, I know you all love just helping others all of the time, but just some fun, fun shit. When I, when meditating um, and your mind is getting, if you get, if you find you get kind of tight and you're taking it all pretty personal and you're feeling like I'm not doing it right. Or uh, I got to try harder or you're, I shouldn't be thinking or sometimes if you just have like a, a word that reminds you to lighten up, like a, just like a play, put a funny word into your mind. It's like a meditation safe word, you know, like, um, if you're not doing that yet, think, think about like identifying just a couple of words that you could put into your mind when your mind is uh, getting tight around your spiritual practice. One of the uh, things that arose for me tonight when I was, I was meditating and I was thinking about this experience and story that I've told a lot of times when I was in, I was like in third or fourth grade and I was in, I had, my dad had moved to New Mexico from Santa Cruz from California. And I was in public school in this kind of Mexican barrio. And I was one of the only white kids. I think I was the only white kid in my class. And, and, uh, and I tried in order to survive, I was getting bullied quite a bit. And in order to survive, I um, sort of tried to be class clown. Like if I can make them laugh, they won't kick my ass. And um, at one point, the teacher, Mr. Mondragon, left the room to go somewhere. And like, you know how what kids do in elementary school when the teacher leaves, like you go. So I jumped up on his desk and started dancing and everybody's like, yeah. And uh, then uh, Arturo came up behind me and pantsed me all the way to my ankles. And my little nine-year-old uncircumcised penis hanging out. And Yolanda, cute girl in the front row, screamed and pointed 
and said, oh my God, it looks like an asparagus. <laughs> True story. So sometimes when I'm meditating, I'll just say to myself, <laughs> it looks like an asparagus. <laughs> And it just lightens the whole mood. Just whatever my mind is doing, judging, comparing, <laughs> you know, resenting, just relaxing into, it looks like an asparagus. <laughs> Follow-up part of that story that's not that funny. Like, this is a good example of, like, we can share with each other our most painful experiences and fucking laugh at each other. And if you can do that with yourself, right? Learn to do that with yourself to be like, wow, look at how painful that thought was and how funny it is that my mind is doing that. Of course it helps when you have 40 years distance from the experience. Um, Many years later, when I was in my 20s, I think I was in New Mexico visiting my father and I went to the casino and I was playing cards. One of the things that I like to do for fun, I was, I think I was playing blackjack or something. There wasn't poker there and um, really cute dealer dealing the cards. And I looked at her name tag, Yolanda. <laughs> and I got all weird and awkward, you know, as you do in your 20s. And I was like, oh, I think we were in elementary school together. He's like, you remember me? I'm the asparagus guy. I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but I was just like, do you? And she was like, nope, don't remember you. And it's like seared, traumatized into my mind. And maybe she was playing it off, but just like in me, like it was such a big experience, a story I've told, like identity. I'm the asparagus kid. My, I've got the weird penis. And... <laughs> She's just like, I don't even remember you at all. Like that was just a moment in her life wasn't, didn't, you know, didn't stick. But to me, it's like, it became part of my identity. And funny and, you know, something to laugh about later, later, much later in life, something to laugh about. The first book I ever read about Buddhism from my father, this book is called A Gradual Awakening. My dad wrote this book in the 70s. Came out in 79. And I didn't get it when I first read this and I was a teenage, early recovery, just out of juvie. And I was just like, okay, mindfulness, paying attention to my breath. But this is a great book. If you ever, I think it's still in print, you might be able to find it. And he's got chapters in this book about like the judging mind the comparing mind and this way to be mindful of all of these different tendencies of our mind that aren't personal, aren't your fault that everyone's mind does this shit. And the more you're mindful, the more you see it, the less you take it personal, the less you suffer. Here's this chapter in here that it's kind of what I'm talking about tonight. It's called a sense of the absurd. He says, sometimes we take our sittings so seriously. We think in terms of my progress, short-sighted to the gathering power of awareness and the universe in which 
progress is happening. We lose sight of the joy of our growth, the expansive, but the expansiveness which comes with understanding creates a lightness that sees beyond all of the self-centered attempts to overcome the imagined self. It's a lot. He says, when we're working hard on ourselves, we sometimes push away our easy mind, our happiness at being on the path in the first place. We lose the sense of our absurdity, which can serve as a balance to the seriousness of our practice. When we lose that openness to the cosmic humor of it all, we lose perspective. We become like the rooster who thinks he's crowing to make the sun come up each morning. We think it's me beating the ego rather than appreciating the universe coming home to itself. The whole melodrama of our attempts at capturing freedom benefits greatly by the balance of a well-developed sense of the absurd. Indeed, it is said that the angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. A bit of aerodynamics, it is well for us all to remember. The sense of humor that develops with a deeper perspective of our predicament is often a key element in the ability to let go. Don Juan talks about controlled folly, which is his way of expressing the sense of the absurd which honors the miracle of even being here to do the work together. That's a very balanced recognition. We do what we do knowing it's going to turn out as it does quite beyond our control, not grasping at any result other than the act's natural outcome. To be able to dance when dancing is called for, to be able to sit when it's time to sit. It's the cosmic farce that unknown newness which keeps us right on the edge of our seats. It's the deep, caring laughter of a non-interfering awareness which watches us, trying to figure out the cosmos with the rational mind, which is something like the tail trying to wag the dog. Staying light in the face of truths that appear to, be contradi that appear to contradict each other maintains respect for the natural unfolding of things without trying to control the flow. We maintain our practice, our investigation of what seems real, even when we come face to face with the seemingly contradiction of its paradoxes and know all we can do is take one breath at a time and watch what comes next. Our experience of exerting considerable effort in order to enter an effortless consciousness or having to choose to develop choiceless awareness leaves us feeling a bit perplexed by it all, floating just beyond the boundaries of what we might at times imagine to be altogether sane. The thought, is this all making me a little schizoid? Passes through the mind and is not identified with its contents, but just notes thinking, thinking, hey, what's real? Thinking, thinking, every thought of who we are unable to be accepted, to be held onto for more than a millisecond. Yet here we are, the rational mind doesn't know which way to turn and the heart couldn't care less. The perfect absurdity of it signals that somehow we are on the right track and our status in the world becomes something somewhat like that of the Sufi teaching figure Nasruddin 
who goes into the bank to cash a check. The teller glances at the check and asks, can you identify yourself? And Nasruddin pulls out a small mirror out of his coat pocket and holds it up and looking at it, he says, yep, that's me. Some friends from the Sangha uh, and I a little bit have been going to see comedy. And, you know, just like the importance of going and intentionally putting yourself in the place where you're going to laugh. Hopefully you're going to laugh. Uh, there was a Zen teacher um, on the East Coast who had a very large community and Zen can be very serious and they're wearing their robes and you have to bow the right way and you have to sit the right way. And in some Zen traditions, if you're not sitting in the right posture, they'll come and hit you with a stick to wake you up and make you sit right. Like real fucking serious about this shit. And he said, you know, we're all getting a little too serious about this. And so, and he was the Zen master. And so he sent all of his students to clown school. <laughs> He's like, in order to really do Zen, we need to learn how to juggle and wear funny noses and lighten the fuck up about enlightenment while still sitting while still practicing the five precepts while still doing service while still being in the form and and doing our practice don't get so loose about this that you stop meditating having such a sense of humor about it all that you've graduated from your practice but within the form of practice learning to laugh at ourselves and, and with each other. In order to do this, you know, mindfulness, mindfulness is non-judgmental present time awareness. So there's no judgment in it. And that's, that's really important because so often People come to meditation with the misperception that we're trying to stop the mind. And we really like the practices that allow us to avoid. And there's something skillful in early development about, you know, like ignore your mind. That's the first instruction. Ignore your mind. It's trying to kill you. It's trying to create misery for you. Come back to the breath. There's something skillful in the beginning. But in the long run, avoidance is just developing ignorance. It's not developing wisdom. If you're meditating away your thoughts and not changing your relationship to your mind, you know, there's like, from a Buddhist perspective, you don't want to transcend your reality. You want to learn to embody your reality. You want to learn to be with your mind just as it is with a lightness, with a understanding that it's not so personal, it's not who we are. In order to do that with mindfulness, we have to bring this attitude of humor, of the absurd, as, my, as Stephen is saying, of uh, loving kindness. My teacher, Ajahn Amaro, says, um, talking about loving kindness as a necessary foundation for mindfulness, metta. Um, he says, loving kindness does not mean trying to be, trying to like the unlikable. That's the same as trying to taste something bitter and pretend like it's actually sweet. 
just reflecting on that. It's not about trying to like, oh, I love it. I'm liking the unlikable. That's like trying to taste something bitter and be like, oh, that's so sweet. This lemon is so sweet. It's not what loving kindness is. We need to be realistic and say, this is a bitter taste. This is a painful memory. This is a painful sensation in the body. That's what it is. Metta, loving kindness, is not making ourselves like the unlikable, but rather radically and totally accepting what is here. If there's a bitter taste, recognize it as bitter. This is something that can be experienced. We have a tongue and it's able to perceive flavors. There are sweet flavors, there are sour flavors, there are bitter flavors. This is a bitter flavor. That's what it is. Nothing has gone wrong, it's not bad. It's just a flavor that we can experience. Here it is, it's like this. So bringing this attitude of loving kindness, which is acceptance of the reality that we're experiencing right now our kind relationship, our friendly relationship, our, our kind of seeing how absurd it is when our mind says, no, everything should be sweet. I should like everything. I should have perfect equanimity or I should have perfect compassion when the reality is we're not there yet all of the time. He goes on to say suffering, dukkha, is an attitude of it shouldn't be this way. This is not fair, this is not right, the universe is out of order at this moment. When we let go of that attitude and we establish the attitude of friendliness, of acceptance. So our practice is to support that of letting go, to establish the quality of acceptance. Well, it's not pleasant. I wouldn't ask for this, but here it is. If we establish an attitude of loving kindness and radical acceptance, we are able to bring our attitude into alignment with the reality of the way things are. We bring our heart into accord with the Dhamma, with reality. This is how it is. If we have that attitude of acceptance as a basis for the way we are working, that becomes a very strong foundation for concentration and insight. And so I wanted to share that because of course, we're trying to develop wisdom. Of course, we want insight. We want transformation. And, and you know, both of these wise elders encouraging us to do it in a friendly way, to do it in a way that has a sense of the absurdity of all of it and to uh, lighten up a little bit about the whole process. Um, those are my thoughts. What are your questions, comments, clarifications about this perspective and how to apply it in your life, to laugh at yourself. And I really encourage that, like identifying something that you think is funny and in your meditation, sometimes when you're getting too serious and judgy, you're identified with what your mind is doing, just that kind of asparagus. <laughs> and it just takes all the tension out of the present. You can borrow mine. <laughs> you don't have your own. Not literally. So questions, <laughs> comments. What do you think? Or what do you do for 
you know, so that's one part of it is in, in our inner meditation. And then there's that other part that I was talking about, the importance of playing. What are you doing to play? I hope you're meditating a lot every day and, you know, do, taking it seriously. But also, what are you doing for fun? Such an important thing. I, um, at one point, I had this very serious Buddhist accuse me of being addicted to, um, what is that that gets released not, uh, when you're having joy? Dopamine. dopamine, maybe baby dopamine was what he, he's like, man, like we're Buddhists. We're supposed to like, just be calm. And you're always like surfing and riding motorbikes and playing poker. And you're just like a dopamine junkie. You just want to have fun. We're not supposed to, we're Buddhists. We're supposed to just be like, I don't have fun. I just I'm peaceful all the time. I avoid anything that's too fun. And I was like, I don't want to be that kind of Buddhist. I want to be the kind of Buddhist that has fun without being too addicted to it or too attached to it. That can also sit in silence, that can go on to the silent retreat and be bored and be alone and, you know, not have to be entertained all, you know, both skills, the ability to sit with ourselves and the ability to really enjoy the wholesome joys that life provides. What do you think? Please, David. Oh, so one way that I've learned to not take myself so seriously because I was I was a child actor, and of course, I've been a performer my whole life, you know, and uh, and I was needed perfection so much in my twenties. Um, and is I'll just get up on stage now, and I'll just do something totally ridiculous the minute I get on stage, just to just to humble myself and kind of get rid of my ego, you know. And that's like a way that I found like it's just it grounds me into being like I'm a human being. I'm not like trying to be this perfect thing. Yeah. You know? And yeah. like, trying to put on a perfect performance, you know. What I mean? So I'll just get up and be like, "Woo!" You know what I mean? And it's like. People are like, okay, you know, I'm just not normal or whatever, or say something about myself, like, oh, I'm really scared right now. And, you know, da, 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 you know, I see that in you too, that you like, you know, you'll, you'll just kind of say things personal about your life. And, you know, so I don't know, that is one thing that I thought was cool. Yeah, it can really help to just lighten the mood, do something silly. Yeah. Um, uh, Josh Corda, who my friend who took over the New York meditation groups when I moved here from New York, uh, and, you know, he's a great teacher and, uh, and he starts every Dharma talk with a, like a really corny joke and they're like mostly not even funny, but it's just his practice to just be like, I'm going to tell a corny joke to relax everybody about what we're doing here. And, you know, it's a great thing to do, you know, to start with like, let's just, let's just start with lightness and some humor. Michael, go ahead, jump in. Thanks, Noah. And I really want to thank you for, for the stripes reference of Sergeant Halka telling Francis to lighten up. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm definitely going to watch that this week again. You um, can borrow that one for your meditation too, Michael. That, you that, lighten up, I'm, Francis. I'm going to use that. I'm definitely going to co-op that. And, uh, um, I like um, 
I like what your father said about um, one breath at a time and what comes next. Because instantly, like when you read that, I thought, what comes next, next and accept it, accept it, whatever it is, whatever feeling it is, aversive, um, anxiety, anger, pleasure, neutrality, like the whole like carnival of feeling, just accept it and like work on changing your relationship to it, treating it with kindness, compassion, mindfulness, um, and then realize it's going to pass. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all impermanent, you know, and, um, Ajahn Amaro has this um, meditation on YouTube called Letting Go. And I, I, you know, at least once a week, I'll do that meditation. The thing that I lean on a lot and think about is, you know, in the meditation, he says, a thought is just a thought, a feeling is a feeling, a mood is a mood, a sensation is a sensation. It'll pass. So the, when you read your father's book and, and you came to that part of it, it was really super helpful. And it just, maybe think of a couple of other things to, to, to bring into that and, and be of use. So thank you. Welcome. I was just thinking of a couple of, um, you know, Buddhists. Uh, I love to talk shit about Buddhists. Um, can be so uh, uptight and, and so sort of fake and, um, and so I, I really hope that we're creating a Buddhist community, a culture uh, that's more authentic and more relaxed around it, serious about our practice, but also uh, authentic. And uh, thinking about this, um, this is also, this whole talk is a setup for uh, challenging you all to show up on October 2nd, where we're gonna be doing a Sangha open mic gathering and we're gonna ask people to come up and perform whatever. And a really great practice of not taking yourself too seriously and coming up here and singing a song or telling some jokes or doing some interpretive dance or... And I was thinking of that and I was thinking about how like I bombed so hard one time at, um, it was this big international Buddhist teachers gathering. And like all of the most famous Dharma teachers from around the world were gathering to like talk about how fucking spiritual we are, <laughs> what great teachers we are, and you know, blow smoke up each other's asses and fight a little bit and talk about and we're better than them and whatever. And at one point there was this sort of like open mic and, and um, they had asked me to kind of like host it a little bit. I don't know why. Uh, and I, and I was like, I was trying to get it gone. I was like, anybody ever, like when you're teaching have to take a shit and not know what to do, like have a room full of people and just be like, I gotta, like, I gotta go right now. What am I going to do? And I was like, one time I was teaching and there's like a hundred people in the room. And all of a sudden my stomach was just like, uh Oh, I'm not going to make it. Like I'm going to shit my pants. <laughs> And there's a hundred people sitting in silence in front of me, meditating. And I told that story and not, not a, nobody thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> nobody thought it was funny at all. 
I thought I did. I maybe I did it better this time, but I thought I think they were just like, that's that's inappropriate. <laughs> this is not the kind of composure of a spiritual teacher. We don't talk about pooping. <laughs> Should have showed him your asparagus. I should. That was for the encore. <laughs> for the encore. But seriously, uh, we are going to do this thing as part of the community to come. And it doesn't have to be funny, but there is part of this lightening up. And it's a little bit like um, exposure therapy, like if you're real nervous about like speaking in front of people to show up and, and do something and do, you know, like David was saying, like do something silly if you want or do something serious, you know, like share a poem or a, um, you know, a read, you know, a, a thing that you, you know, inspires you or um, write a fucking limerick sometimes at the end of uh meditation retreats we'll say on the last day while we're when we're breaking silence um write a haiku uh what are haikus five seven five seven five seven five seven five and so we'll get obviously i don't know how to do it but we'll we'll, we'll somebody else will say like this is how you do a haiku five words or five syllables seven syllables five syllables um and then perform it and then come up and share with the community your haiku about your experience in this meditation retreat and uh, part of like connecting with the community and part of lightening up and um you know mostly they're funny you know when you do it, when you do it in our community anyways Is that a hand? Yeah, please. Yeah, I, I have one of the best uh, lightening up techniques I have is listening to uh, Bob Newhart's talk on on YouTube. You heard it? I have. So good. <laughs> it is. Okay. It is so good. Do people? You're. You're. Most of you are too young to remember <laughs> Bob Newhart. Um, but David's mother and I remember Bob Newhart. And it's this great skit of he's a psychotherapist and everyone that comes into his office and says, well, I'm suffering about this, I'm suffering, I can't stop doing, and his reply as the therapist is just stop it. <laughs> stop doing that. And it, it's hilarious. Yeah, and the one lady's like, um, I think I'm, gonna, I'm scared I'm going to get buried in the box. And and at the end he goes, and she's like, I, I have all these issues with my mother and how I grew up, and all of a sudden he says, just stop it, just stop it. And she's stop like, it. he's like, if you don't stop it, I'm gonna bear you in a box. All right, well, that's all I've got. If there's no cat, please. Yeah, I have a question um, about this idea of um, wanting to be available to big emotions and big feelings and have that, you know, breadth of experience. 
on one hand and composure, this idea of composure on the other hand and equanimity on the other hand. I had this experience recently where I was devastated, gutted. And it felt like it was one domino that was going to set a whole cascade of failure. And, um, and I had big feelings about it. And, you know, on one hand, I was like allowing that. And on the other hand, sort of judging, like, is this, or ambivalent, is this too much? Like, like what's a wide response to this crazy situation? Yeah. I, of course, don't have the answer, but it's the right question. And it's the right investigation for all of us. And this is where I'm sort of critiquing. I think that sometimes Buddhism falls a little too far on the like, just have composure and just have equanimity and don't allow yourself to really feel the big feelings. Uh, I feel like there's, uh, it's very important for us to be authentic and to feel what we're feeling. And it's more of the inner relationship to the big feelings. How much are we incarnating as the fear and how much are we just experiencing it coming through? And that doesn't mean that we need to be, have perfect composure and equanimity, but there's some wisdom of like, this is fear, this is catastrophizing, this is obsession, whatever the mind is doing and knowing that it's happening and feeling it and letting the tears come and letting the, grief wash through with there can be still a Ajahn Amaro was uh, with him and I was asked I had asked him something like this a long time ago and he said eventually your practice will take you to the point where it doesn't get rid of the difficult big emotions afflictive emotions he said but you'll be in perfect ease you'll be crying you'll be you know grieving the tears will be coming and you know maybe even you're an ugly crier like that's okay too like it'll be coming he said but internally you'll be at ease and you'll know that this is just emotion coming through your body and it's what the body does it experiences thoughts it experiences it breathes all by itself the heart beats it it poops it does all of these things and it emotes and our practice is to be completely present with like, wow, this big joy is here or this big sadness is here and it's passing through. It's a right, you know, it's what Michael was saying. That's it's, it's, it's impermanent. It's arising and it's passing and it's not self, but it is my experience in this moment. It's not who I am, but it is what I am experiencing and it'll pass. That's the wisdom of it'll pass through. And it's not, you know, a lot of those catastrophizing thoughts, there is that sort of like, come on mind, really? This story again, this delusion of it's never going to end, it's only going to get worse. How many times has your mind told you that and it wasn't true? And then your mind's like, but this time. <laughs> I know, I was just fucking with you the million times before this. But this time, it's all over. You're never going to recover from this one. And, you know, just being like, well, my mind always tells me that. It's never been true. It's not true this time either. So, um, 
feel our feelings. And that's part of the, the lightening up and of like, don't put on the Buddhist super ego of like, no, I need to be completely like when I got into, I got into my, the relationship that I'm currently in. Um, and we had this communication of like, you know, there's nonviolent communication and there's like good, you know, good communication styles. And I said, you know, myself, like I'm, really value authenticity and it's like i want to be able to like say fuck you sometimes if i'm really if that's the feels like the appropriate thing to say rather than i feel very angry at you i want to just be able to say like that you know like fuck you not cool you know or whatever you know and you can say that to me like it feels more authentic um than to just do this sort of like Buddhist right speech, nonviolent, <laughs> I statements only. No offense to all of you NVC people in the room or at home. Jeff or Emily, go ahead, jump in. Hey, only. I love the subject, man. And that, and and by the way, that new heart sketch, he has a fee structure where he collects, uh, it's a dollar a minute, and it, but it's only five minutes and he collects upfront in cash and there's no refunds. <laughs> <laughs> so classic. Hey, um, you told me a story about a teacher of yours asked you what was, what's missing out of Buddhism. And I always remember this. You said, and correct me if I'm wrong, a sense of a sense of humor. You thought Buddha probably had a sense of humor, but it was sort of missing out of the teachings. And the second thing was a, 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 a direct amends, examples of a direct amends. But ever since then, I've kind of been like looking and and making up places where the, the Buddha's sense of humor was kind of like redacted, you know. And I'm, I, there's like some. <laughs> there's some ridiculousness in there. I'm thinking like, maybe this is a place I wonder, you know, like, what do you think? I mean, how much of a sense do you think he was fucking around with his disciples a little bit? And was he a practical joker or was he sarcastic? You know what, like, what's your impression? It's so hard to tell. And also I don't know the suttas well enough. Um, there's nowhere that I know of in early Buddhism where the Buddha talks about a sense of humor being important. Um, but some of the scholarly Buddhist teachers that know the suttas really well has said, it's in there. It's in there in the parables, in the analogies, in the kind of, you know, when he says, you know, you're like a bunch of blind guys trying to figure out what a, a elephant is. And one person grabs the tail and one person grabs the trunk. He's like, that's the Buddha making a joke about how ridiculous this whole thing is. Um, so it's supposedly it's in there. It's fucking hard. If you read the Pali Canon, if you read the suttas, it's not funny. It's a fucking drag. It's a fucking drag. <laughs> you gotta really sift through it to find anything that seems yeah. very humorous in there. Yeah. But again, this shit wasn't, you know, we don't know because we didn't get to, uh, there's no YouTubes of the Buddha. The shit wasn't even written down until 200 years after he died. So by the time they wrote it down, they're like, what's important? The jokes, not important. The Four Noble Truths, important. Let's write that shit down. The Four Noble Truths, let's write that down. So we don't really know. Maybe, maybe he was funny. I like to think um, 
The Dharma teachers that I like the best, like the Dalai Lama, always giggling, you know, like you, you look at his holiness, the Dalai Lama, he's laughing all of the time. Uh, right now we're doing this course on um, Lumpur Samedo, Ajahn Samedo, Ajahn Amro's teacher, and, and he's cracking himself up every Dharma talk. And he's just like, he's this old man, he's in his 80s, and he's just laughing, and there's just joy. And he spent the last 50 years celibate, not eating dinner um, as, a, as a monk, you know, no money, no sex, no dinner, you know, they don't have any food after. And the dude just thinks that life is funny, and that this whole process is pretty, you know, our whole, our mind is pretty ridiculous. And uh, I trust him, you know, that's my experience too, having practiced just half as long as him and a, you know, a hundredth percent as hard as him. You know, I have such a, us householders have such a half-assed practice compared to the monks and nuns who are professionals, we're amateurs. Um, but the outcome of some joy and some lightness should be the same. So maybe we'll leave it there for tonight. Um, class is done by donation, as you probably are well aware. Against the Stream is a nonprofit organization. We uh, have expenses, we have uh, rent and electricity and a couple of employees. And um, so please be generous. And, and obviously, we're trying to do this really radical thing of uh, offering the teachings for free of charge, not uh, charging you to, to come into the class. Not like We're not a yoga center that's like, it's 20 bucks for meditation. And now there's all of these meditation centers around town that are like, yeah, 25 bucks to come in and have some meditation. Here, it's freely offered. But in order for us to continue doing that as it's been done since the beginning, um, you have to freely offer us some money in order to pay the rent and to support me as a teacher. And uh, so the suggested donation is between 15 and $20. If you can afford that, great. If you would like to give more, even better. If you're broke and you can't afford uh, to make a donation, you're still totally welcome here. It's not about the money, it's about the Dharma. And you know we live in this society where you gotta pay bills. I gotta pay bills, the center has to pay bills. So. Uh, please be generous. If you're at home, there's a link in the uh, chat to the to the donations on the website. If you're here, you can donate in the um, bowl if you have cash. Not many people carry cash anymore. If you don't have cash, you can Venmo. It's written on the desk there. If you don't have cash or Venmo, um, do it next time. Go on the website and, and donate. Uh, some people become a monthly supporter of Against the Stream. Please consider that if it's possible for you to say, I want to support the organization. I'll give $25, $50, $100 a month, just freely offer it. Uh, it'll become a like auto you know, withdrawal from your card or your account. Uh, that helps support us a lot, the people that just become monthly supporters. So consider doing that, please, if you feel moved. What else? I had another announcement. The October 2nd thing. Do we have flyers yet? Flyers are coming. A couple of weeks we're going to do that. Is It's on a Sunday? Saturday. Saturday. 
8.15, open mic. What are you gonna start working on your haikus, your limericks? No, in the, in the evening, after the refuge meeting on the Saturday night in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's still some space in the seven day against the stream retreat. That's the October 10th through 17th. So if you're planning to come, register, come sit for a week with me and the rest of the Sangha. There's also classes here on Wednesday night. Jason has a Wednesday class. Come sit with Jason. There's also a class on Fridays that's just online that you can get to through the um, website there. It's a stream. Oh, I know what my other announcement was. Uh, my host, volunteer host, uh, isn't really able to do it anymore. So I could use a couple people to volunteer uh, China sets up and she sets up all by herself. So if anybody else wants to show up early and help set up, I could use a volunteer for that. And if anybody wants to um, sit at the desk and be the sort of greeter and host, I could use a volunteer for that. Um, if you can be here every week and do that. Um, I can also train you how to use the credit card thing that I don't really know how to do, but we can figure it out together. So um, come talk to me if you want to service position at the meditation group. <laughs> May any goodness that comes from our practice be offered, offered outward in all directions, sharing the merit of our practice and discussion of the Buddha's teachings with all beings. May each one of us learn how to laugh a bit more and suffer a bit less. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.